Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Um, I consider one of the great blessings of my life is that I was able to grow up in um, in a really wonderful neighborhood. I grew up in Carmel, Indiana, and we had um, a neighborhood that was full of a lot of uh, young families, and so there were lots of kids my age in this neighborhood. And so, you know, we were <clears throat> just out all the time, um, riding bikes and playing basketball and building forts in the woods and playing this game called Neighborhood Chase. We just took over the whole neighborhood, kind of like a game of tag, and we would chase each other around. And I mean, there would be 10, 15, 20 kids out in the neighborhood at any given time, just running around playing. It was just a, a wonderful place to grow up. About six houses down from me, there was um, a, a guy who was about my age. His name was Ted. And Ted just never came out of the house. I mean, he was something of a a recluse to us, just this mysterious person. We didn't really know anything about him. Um, Very obscure. Uh, We would go down and play basketball on his driveway, actually. And he would never come out. And, of course, we knew who he was. We could recognize him. But he just seemed so to himself, so reclusive. All these kids running around the neighborhood, Ted never came out. Well, many years later, we were all very surprised to learn that Ted had his own TV show on the Bravo Network, that he began writing books, was a published author, that he wrote articles for Esquire magazine, and that even now, to this day, he is the host of a show called Chopped on the Food Network. I don't know if any of you have seen that, but that's Ted, who lives six doors down from me growing up in Carmel, Indiana. I assure you that all of us who were out in the neighborhood playing and doing our thing never for a moment thought that Ted would be famous. And yet here it is. Sometimes, isn't it true that we are surprised at how things turn out? We're surprised at how things develop. Sometimes the results far exceed what we expect. And what the Scriptures are going to teach us here this morning is that the kingdom of God works that way. The kingdom of God is going to surprise us when we see how it finally is going to turn out. The kingdom of God, as we look at it now, and certainly as we look at it in Jesus' day, sometimes seems small and obscure. Sometimes it seems ineffective. Sometimes it seems like the world is leaving us behind. Sometimes to you it might feel like your work for the kingdom is fruitless, bearing no results. We might look to the future of the church and the kingdom and we think it looks dark. We think it looks hopeless. And yet here we get to Mark chapter 4 and we've got these wonderfully encouraging parables that teach us and assure us and encourage us that your work for the Lord is not in vain. And the results of the kingdom are going to one day astonish you and astonish the entire world as the final results surprise us. So that's what we're looking at here in Mark chapter 4. Last week, we're, by the way, here at New Life, just going through the book of Mark, taking it one passage at a time. Servant King is the title of the sermon series, and today we're thinking of Jesus and the kingdom. 
Last week, we saw the beginning of a new teaching method of Jesus, which was to teach through parables. And so we considered what a parable was. We considered the parable of the sower last week. And um, that parable, as well as the parables we're going to see in this passage, are all intended to teach us something about the kingdom of God. Parables do a lot of things. Again, we talked about that last week. But there's a topic that the parables typically are trying to address, and that is the kingdom. The way the kingdom works, the way the kingdom grows, what the kingdom looks like. So if you want to know something about the kingdom of God, we read Jesus' parables. So what is the kingdom like? Well, let's stand out of respect for the reading of God's Word, and let me read this passage to you. Mark 4, 21 to 34. And he, that is Jesus, said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And, he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parables shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet, When it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Holy Spirit, would you come please and open our hearts and minds and eyes to behold wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Okay, so kind of a lengthy passage here um, that falls on the heels again of the parable of the sower from last week. And we learn a few things about the kingdom and Jesus' relationship to the kingdom. The first thing I want us to see is how the kingdom is entered. Okay? How, how is it that you become a citizen of the kingdom? So, uh, first of all, by way of review, you might ask, well, what, what do you mean when you talk about the, the kingdom? Very simple definition of the kingdom. It's the king's power over the king's people in the king's place. That's, that's the kingdom. The king's power over the king's people in the king's place. Now, the king, as we read the scriptures, we know, is referring to Jesus Christ. He is the 
king of kings, right? We say that every Christmas very frequently. Jesus is the Savior. He is the Messiah. Yes, He has come to give His life for us, to lay down His life, to forgive us for our sins. But He's not just a Messiah. He's not just a Savior. In His resurrection from the dead, He deserves then the right to be called the King of Kings. And so if you are a Christian, you have a relationship with Jesus, not just as Savior, but also as King. And that's what we've been seeing throughout Mark. Jesus is showing His authority. Remember, He taught with great authority. Everybody's been astonished. He's been casting out demons. He's been healing people who are sick. And next week, we're going to see Jesus walking on water. So Jesus is this king over all creation and over all of his people. Everything we've been reading here so far in Mark is demonstrating that the kingdom of God has arrived in the coming of Jesus. And that's what Jesus says earlier in Mark chapter 1. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus is a king, our king. But here's the thing. If you were among the disciples back in the first century and you were hanging out with Jesus or you just kind of saw Jesus and somebody said to you, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and you just laid eyes on him, you would not think he was a king. He wouldn't have been wearing a crown. He wouldn't have been sitting on a throne. He wouldn't have been living in a castle. There would be nothing in his appearance that would communicate to you that this is a king. This is one who was born in a manger. This is one who worked as an ordinary carpenter. And in fact, Isaiah 53, as it looks ahead to the coming of the Messiah, describes him in this way. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. There was nothing in Jesus' appearance that would give us the impression that this is the king of kings. That's what Jesus is getting to in these first few verses, verses 21 and 22 of this passage, that as the kingdom of God begins, it begins in very secret and obscure fashion. Look what it says, verse 21. He says, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. What Jesus is saying here in reference to the kingdom is right now in his day, what he's saying is it looks like the kingdom is hidden down under a basket. The, the, the kingdom is something that is secret, is something that is hidden. But what he goes on to say here is that's not the way it's going to stay forever. Not for long. The kingdom is actually going to be manifest. It's going to be revealed. It's going to be put on a stand for all to see. It is a secret that is going to be made manifest. It is going to come to light. It's going to be declared and people will know about the kingdom of God. Now, how is that going to happen? How is the kingdom going to be made manifest? And it's very clear in this passage and in this whole chapter of Mark that the primary way the kingdom is known throughout the Word is through the proclamation of the Word of God. It's not through some miraculous technique. It's not through any kind of social action or service. It's, it's not through any number of creative means that the church might come up with. It's through the proclamation of the Word. And you can see that <clears throat> because what does Jesus say there in verse 23? If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. 
Receiving and knowing about the kingdom depends upon having the right kind of ears to receive the message of the kingdom when it is proclaimed. That's what the parable of the sower was all about. I'll refer you to last week's sermon to understand more about that. This is how one enters the kingdom of heaven. It's hearing the gospel proclaimed, repenting, and believing. And that's good news, friends, because when you think of other kingdoms in the world and how we become members of, of, or, or citizens of, of, of kingdoms, I, I've talked with Mark Shua here in our congregation. He's from China, and he will tell you how hard it is to become a citizen of the United States of America. I mean, you've got to get a work visa, and then you've got to get a green card, and then you have to hold a job for a certain period of time, and then you have to wait five years, and, and on and on the requirements pile up. There's a lot of hoops to, to jump through to become a citizen in the United States. I'm not criticizing that. I'm just saying that's the way it is. It's not easy. To become a citizen of God's kingdom, relatively speaking, is pretty easy. You don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops. You don't have to be a member of a particular race. You don't have to pass a citizenship test. You don't have to know about the history of our nation or the history of the Bible. You need to repent and believe when the gospel lands on your ears. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's how the entrance to the kingdom of God occurs, hearing and believing. Now, there's a warning then. Jesus goes on in these next couple of verses, a warning to those who don't believe in the gospel, to those who reject the gospel when they hear it. When the word goes forth, you are a sinner. Jesus Christ has come. He has died on the cross to forgive you of sins. He's resurrected from the dead. Repent and believe. And many people hear that and they go, I don't know about that. I don't know if I want that. And they resist it. Well, well look what Jesus says here about that in verse 24. Pay attention, he says, to what you hear. There it is again. It's about responding to the word. Pay attention to what you hear because with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added. And to the one to, uh, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. What this means, the principle here, what Jesus is communicating, is that when you hear the word proclaimed and you believe the gospel, there is an increase in faith and understanding that you can expect as you continue to grow and walk with Jesus. That initial that initial response of acceptance will yield results, deeper understanding, maturity. But to the one who rejects what he hears, well, the measure that you use will be measured back to you. And even what you have will be taken away from you. It's like the implication is that the more you reject the gospel, the more hardened you're going to become, the less willing you're going to be to believe the gospel. Your capacity to accept what is declared to you will be diminished. You know, sometimes people think, well, I'm not really interested in the gospel now. I'm not interested in religion. I don't really care about the church. I'm going to wait until I get a family, and then I'll start thinking about spiritual things. You know, you put it off. Right now, you want to have your fun. And so you put it off, and you think, I'll be ready one day. But don't count on that, friends. The day of salvation is today. This is not to say that if you don't receive the gospel today, you'll never have another chance. That's not what I'm saying. 
But the principle that Jesus is teaching, I think, is summed up well by this commentator, R.T. France. He says, the care expended in understanding and responding to Jesus' parables will be proportionately rewarded. What you get out of them depends on what you put in them. So today, as you're sitting in this place, are you paying attention to what you are hearing? Are you paying attention? That's what Jesus is saying. Pay attention and don't bank on having this endless opportunity and time to receive the gospel. Receive it now. And if you reject it now, something could be lost. That's the warning. Uh, an illustration would be the way our, our muscles work. Um, you know, the exercise scientists among us will tell you that if you exercise your muscle, you'll gain strength. But if you fail to exercise your muscles, even what you have will be taken away. It's called atrophy. And uh, Brandon Dykstra has told me that uh, this is called the principle of reversibility. That, the, that, that what you gain in exercising your muscle can be lost when you don't continue to gain it. And in fact, you can lose strength faster than it takes to build it. And that seems to be the principle that Jesus is speaking of here. Reject the word and your capacity to hear it rightly can diminish. So respond now and enter the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus. That's how the kingdom is entered. Word goes forth. Repent and believe. Second thing, how the kingdom develops. How the kingdom develops. Let's go back to the parable of the sower from last week. Uh, you might remember that Jesus told us what some of the elements of these stories represent. The seed represents the Word, the Scriptures, the Bible. Uh, the man sowing the seed, a farmer, is known as the, the preacher or whoever it is who is proclaiming the Word. And if you go to verse 26, you see that Jesus says, the kingdom of God is, okay, so it's very clear. He's talking about how the kingdom works. He says, here's how the kingdom works. It's like a man who is scattering seed on the ground. And as he goes on to describe this, there's one word that would describe the way the kingdom develops, and the word is mysteriously. The kingdom develops in a very mysterious way. So uh, here's how it works. The, the farmer scatters the seed, verse 26. And verse 27, he sleeps and then he rises night and day, and this goes on day after day, just this routine um, work as a farmer, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. It's mysterious. The earth produces by itself then the harvest, the blade, the ear, and the full grain, and then when the grain is ripe, he puts to the sickle, and, and he harvests uh, what has grown up. <clears throat> So th this, is, this is the parable. It's just this parable of this very ordinary practice of a farmer. He, he's just doing something super ordinary, planting the seed. But while that ordinary work is happening, something extraordinary is going on. The earth by itself, do you see that in verse 28? By itself, without the help of the farmer. The seed grows up. There's something miraculous. There's something unbelievable going on in the ground, and it grows up, and you have the blade, and you have the ear, and you have the full grain. 
And how does it happen? How does it work? Look at verse 27, end of verse 27. He doesn't know. He has no idea how this is working. That's why I say this is mysterious. Now, of course, we live in a day and age when we can explain what's going on in the soil when the seed gets down there, but that's not the point. What Jesus is doing is telling us a story to show how mysterious the growing of the kingdom is and how it grows so independently of anything that the farmer does aside from just sowing the seed. I mean, I can testify to this agriculturally to some degree. This is the um, garden that Mary and I planted back in, in May. And so you can see it's just, it's just dirt. And this is the picture I took yesterday. That's quite a bit of growth, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of messy and there's some grass and weeds there. We haven't been the best at keeping up with our garden. But, I mean, what a, what a contrast. And what do we do to make that grow? Virtually nothing. We went to bed after we planted the seeds. And then we woke up and we went about our business and we did other things. And since then, since May, we've been going to bed and getting up and going to bed and getting up and going about our business. And then we look out and there's that. All of this growth. What Jesus is saying here is that this is how the kingdom develops. The seed is sown. The seed goes forth. What is the seed? The seed is the word. The word goes forth through preachers like me who stand here and declare the word to you. This is my job, friends, to declare to you the word of God. This is Brian's job when he's in the pulpit to declare the word. You might come here Sunday after Sunday and think, oh my goodness, another message in Mark. When's this going to (laughs) end? Do we have to really look at all these obscure passages? Let's do something new. Let's do something exciting. Let's do something different. Look, that's not my job. My job is to sow the seed in your hearts, to get what's in this Bible and proclaim it to you. And you know what I can do tonight after I've done this this morning? I can go to bed and go to sleep and rest peacefully. It's not my responsibility to make you guys believe or respond. It's not Brian's responsibility to make that happen. We can't do it. And we don't even know exactly how it happens. But God takes that seed as it gets into your word and something miraculous happens by the Spirit of God and those who trust and know Jesus. That's how the Word goes forth. The Word goes forth in your homes as well. As you parents, you, you read the Scriptures to your kids. You can't make your kids believe. You can't make them become mature Christians. That's out of your hands. But what's in your hands is that you can sow the seed. And when you evangelize and you talk to somebody who doesn't believe and they're a hardened atheist and you think there's no way this person's going to believe and you're hopeless and you're pessimistic, give them the word, sow the seed, tell them something the scripture says, sow it in their hearts and then it's out of your hands and you can go to bed and go to sleep and know that you've done your job. For missionaries on the field, it's the very same thing. Mission work can entail a lot of activity. We can fix toilets and build houses and do all sorts of very good deeds. But the missionary is not doing his work if he or she is not sowing the seed on the field. The missionary can go, proclaim the word, and go to bed and sleep. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Well, there's something just so liberating about this. For me as a preacher, 
uh, but also for all of you who do ministry. It's, it's really not that difficult what we're called to do. Sow the seed. Proclaim the word. And this is not, um, by the way, an excuse to be negligent or careless about this. That, that's not the idea. We do the best we can at this. But this parable just challenges us to not worry about the things that are out of our hands. Growing the kingdom and growing faith in people's hearts are not something we can do. You know, the church growth industry over the years, you know, has had a lot of stuff printed about how we can grow the church. There's probably not a pastor anywhere who hasn't looked at the megachurch on the other side of town and thought to himself, you know, what methods and techniques are they using? What strategies and programs do they, they have? What's their secret? You know, it's like, don't worry about that. That is just not something for us to be concerned about. Sow the word. Sow the word. The results are out of our hands. The results are not our business. Martin Luther, who was God's instrument for reforming the church in the 16th century, I mean, radically changed the church and eventually radically changed the whole world largely through what Luther did, and Luther, looking back on it, said, I did nothing, the Word did it all. I did nothing, the Word did it all. And so we can trust the Word to do its work, and that's how the kingdom develops. So last thing to consider here today is how the kingdom triumphs. How does the kingdom triumph? So there's one more little parable in this passage, starting with verse 30. And you can see in verse 30 that it, again, is about the kingdom. With what can we compare the kingdom of God? What parable should we use? And so in verse 31, he goes on to say that it's like a mustard seed, a mustard seed. A mustard seed is very, very small. In fact, some mustard seeds are about one millimeter wide. And what it says in verse 30. One is that it is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Now, the critics among us will say, ah, ha-ha, mustard seed actually is not the smallest of all seeds. The orchid seed is actually smaller, and that is true, but let's not be too hard on the Scriptures here. This was just a proverbial saying that was used in Jesus' time. That's how people would speak. It's as small as a mustard seed. Everybody talked about small things in that way. So Jesus is just borrowing this proverbial phrase. There's no error or problem here. But what he says about this very tiny mustard seed, if you look at verse 32, is that it grows up and it becomes the largest of all the plants in the garden. This tiny little seed becomes the largest of all plants. Now, a mustard seed plant can go about four or five feet high. That's more typical. But actually, a mustard seed plant can grow as high as 10 or 12 feet tall. And normally, we think of birds making their nests in trees. What Jesus is saying here is that with this mustard plant, it's big enough that birds can come and land and um, on the large branches and nest in its shade. And so the point here with this parable is that the eventual growth of this plant far exceeds any reasonable expectations people would have as they look at the size of the seed to begin with. When you look at a tiny seed that big and think that it turns into a 15-foot tall plant, we are astonished. And what Jesus is saying is the kingdom of God works in the same way. It starts in obscurity. It starts small. 
Nobody cares about it. The world overlooks it. It starts with a Savior born in a manger, a man who works as an ordinary Jewish carpenter who has 12 bumbling disciples who can't understand anything that he says. And as a result, as a result of that small beginning, the kingdom grows over time, over the centuries, and the kingdom ends up triumphing in glory. The kingdom grows so large, it's beyond our comprehension. And if we look throughout history, we can see how that has indeed happened. And remember, in this time of the book of Mark, Jesus and his disciples are laboring under the thumb of the Roman Empire, this massive, evil, governmental system that was seeking to crush, crush this fledgling Christian movement. And over the course of a few centuries, the Roman Empire had become entirely Christianized. I mean, that is just an unbelievable miracle. Can you imagine what these disciples would have thought if you would have told them at this time, do you know that there's going to be a day when the gospel is going to reach almost every nation in the earth? When there's going to be a time when the Bible is going to be translated into thousands and thousands of languages? That lands you haven't even heard about are going to see a growing and thriving church. And yet that's what's happened, friends. And that's what's continuing to happen. A guy here named David Barrett wrote this, during the 20th century, Christianity has become the most extensive and universal religion in history. It's become a large mustard plant. It's astonished the world. And it will continue to astonish the world. The growth of the kingdom is not done. It is going to keep moving forward. Yes, there are setbacks as we look to history. Yes, there is persecution to be endured. Yes, there are periods of decline as we seem to be experiencing here in the United States and in the West. But friends, don't be discouraged when you see that. Don't live by sight looking at the world and what's happening. Live by faith in what Jesus has said. This is how the kingdom works. It grows. It triumphs. It will get all the glory. Live by faith. Don't be discouraged when you see people not responding to the gospel as you would like them. The kingdom does not come like a lightning bolt. It doesn't come in an instant. And it doesn't come as a result of our strategies and our manipulations. It comes in God's own time and it begins with a tiny little seed. Here's what uh, Paul says in Colossians 1. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. If that's what Paul said in the first century, how much more is that true for us in the 21st century? So, Friends, I hope you're encouraged by this. Keep up the good work. Your labor for the Lord is not in vain. Let's not look to the future with frowns. Let's not look to the future with pessimism. Let's not look to the future with an expectation of failure. God will do this in His own time, and we do not know exactly how, but we know that we have a Savior who is risen from the dead and who has said that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Him. And that He is going to go with us wherever we go. And He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is far above 
all rulers and authorities and dominion, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. That's our Savior. That's the King. That's the one we worship. He will not fail. His kingdom will grow. So, brothers and sisters, lift up your heads. Behold the King of glory, whose kingdom shall triumph and will have no end. Praise God. Lord, thank you for your encouraging words in these parables about the way your kingdom works. Thank you, Father, that entering your kingdom is just as simple as repenting and believing. Thank you, Lord, that your kingdom develops independent of things that we do, but mysteriously in your own time. And thank you, Lord, for the assurance that your kingdom will triumph in glory. We praise you for this good news and this good promise. Help us to live in faith and its truthfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.